Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Target Field in Minnesota, it's the Cleveland Guardians 5, the Minnesota Twins 2 in 10 innings. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, a thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And I got back to my desk at the exact right moment. I I missed most of the pitcher's duel between uh, Tanner Bybee and Sonny Gray, and I got back to my desk just in time for the eighth inning, just in time for the Guardians to make their comeback, just in time for Cole Calhoun to become the folk hero of the 2023 season with his monster three-run home run in the top of the 10th inning. So let's get into it. Let's get into the storylines. I'm fired up. The emailers are fired up. Everybody's having a good time in Cleveland right now. Uh, you, you know, whatever happens for the end of this season, this is why we keep talking about the games. This is why this podcast is here. Because if you're someone that is still tuning into the games every day, if you're someone that's still going to throw the game on while you're at work on a Wednesday afternoon, I'm here to talk about it with you. So let's get into the details of this game. Top storyline, we got to pick up right at the start of the Guardians' comeback. So we will get to the starters. and We will get to Bybee. We will get to Sonny Gray. We'll get to their their duel, um, which Sonny, Sonny Gray wins. You know, he outduels Tanner Bybee uh, technically, right? He leaves with a shutout on the table. Bybee leads leaves the game looking at a possible L uh, next to his name. Uh, but things do turn around against, man, that Minnesota Twins bullpen. I just, there's, there's nobody coming out of that bullpen that scares me, right? I'm sure the Minnesota fans don't want to see Emmanuel Classe come out of that bullpen. I'm sure maybe there's someone else. I don't know. Maybe there's someone else in our bullpens. Trevor Steffen, I don't know who, who concerns them. But even Johan Duran, who can be filthy, can also be ridiculously wild. So there's nobody that's really scaring me out of that Minnesota Twins bullpen. And so uh, seven, uh, the uh, eighth inning, eighth inning, it starts with Gabriel Arias. Now, if you remember, earlier in this series, Gabriel Arias had a double where he was lucky the ball bounced over Kepler's head. And ricocheted off the wall back over Kepler's head because he was in his home run trot out of the batter's box. We talked about it. We talked about how they're probably not going to let that stand. How uh, someone is probably going to say some words to him. Well, whether they did or didn't, the message got to him that he needs to hustle out of the box. And this double in the eighth inning right here, this is a straight hustle double. I mean... Michael, this is, should be a single. This for anybody else, for for anybody else in this game, this would have been a single. But Gabriel Arias was determined to get another double out of this series. He's a double machine in Target Field, and uh, yeah, he uh, he shoots one into center field, eighty-seven point three twenty-degree launch angle. Just a nice. 550 expected batting average, what would normally be a single in the just right of center field. Michael Taylor moves to his left, fields it, kind of takes a few steps with it, turns and throws it in. Uh, and as he's going to throw it in, he realizes that Gabriel Arias left the batter's box like his hair was on fire, rounds first, and goes in like a missile into second base. And uh, he can't even get anything on the throw because he was 
playing it lazy like it was a single, like it was just a no question single. So Arias, with a team down to nothing, hustles in with a lead off double after Eric Haas strikes out and Miles Straubel ground out, which would move Gabriel Arias to third. Stephen Kwan comes through, takes an outside pitch, spray this time sprays it in the left field. He actually doubles to lead off the game by pulling the ball in the right field, which he's done a couple of times, I feel like, this series. Um, he goes back to what he does best and slaps it in the left field. And Gabriel Arias comes in to score, and it gets the Guardians on the board. And once you wipe away that zero, really good things can happen, right? Once the dam breaks, really good things can happen. Now, I know there are a lot of people on Guardians Twitter who are kind of pissed off that Eric Haas and Miles Straw both came to bat after Arias had that uh, had that uh, leadoff double. Yeah, you had Bo Naylor sitting on the bench. Bo Naylor, who I wanted to DH, but Quan was DHing because I Quan is Quan nursing an injury. It feels like Francona is giving him more time off than we're used to seeing in the last week or so. You know, originally one of the games in this series, it, it, originally when the lineup was published, it had. Uh, Oscar Gonzalez batting leadoff and Quan not even in the lineup, which I thought was strange. But when game time rolled around, it was back to normal and Quan was leading off. So I was wondering, was that something where Quan was dealing with an injury that we're just not talking about? It happens every season. You know, by this time in the season, everybody has an injury. By this time of the season, everybody has an injury we're not talking about. Uh, so it does feel like Quan is getting a little bit more time off than he usually does. You know, DHing on a, on an afternoon game when we're going to be when they're off the next day anyways for travel, um, seemed a little, a little questionable. I'm not quite, a little peculiar, really, you know, it raises your eyebrow just a little bit. So, uh, so yeah, so they, he's got Naylor on the bench. He's got Freeman. He's got guys on the bench who could pinch hit for Straw or for Haas, and he doesn't use him in this situation. Doesn't use him. Uh, so a lot of people on Guardians Twitter are mad about that. Of course, Gabriel Arias, uh, not Gabriel Arias, Bo Naylor would get his opportunity to pinch hit, but that would come in the bottom of the ninth inning. But again, a lot of people on Guardians Twitter were saying, why put Bo Naylor in there against the 102-mile-per-hour flame-throwing Duran when you could put him in here in the eighth inning against a much more reasonable pitcher to face, right? Against uh, Thielbar or Jax, you know? So, uh... Terry Francona has been doing it all season. He he he's really reluctant to go to that bench and use a pinch hitter. Um, but Quan comes through with the big hit. Uh, Ramirez would walk. Calhoun would be up with a chance to add more to it. Wouldn't do it this time. Would hit into a force out to end things in the eighth inning. But you got your one run across. Uh, the bullpen shuts him down in the bottom of the eighth. We'll talk about the bullpen in a second. Uh, and then. Uh, Andres Jimenez gets us on the board in the ninth inning by drawing a walk off Duran. Uh, Will Brennan would come up, and I've heard a lot of people being hard on Will Brennan lately. A lot of people. Podcasters, writers, Guardians Twitter, a lot of people thinking Will Brennan, uh, there's no spot, there's no future for him in this outfield. And I'm kind of surprised. I, I think there's something there with Will Brennan. Uh, I don't know if it'll be enough, but enough that I'm I'm curious to see him come back next year and take another crack at it. 
Well, anyways, he jumps on Duran, and he shoots a single back up the middle, gets it to bounce off the pitcher's mound and back up the middle. Andres Jimenez has to stop at second base. Uh, but we've got uh, we've got two guys on. Gabriel Arias comes up. Uh, he hits into a ground out. Uh, it actually is fielded by Duran, and it was a situation where he doesn't field it cleanly, so he has to just go to first base and get the out. If he feels this cleanly, he actually could turn a double play to end the game. Like it's it's that close, and uh, we're really lucky that he uh, that he can't do that. That he uh, you know he he feels it has to go to uh, has to go to first base, and everybody moves up. So now he goes to the bench. Now he pinch hits Bo, pinch hits Bo Naylor for Haas. And uh, Naylor is working the at-bat, and uh, he uncorks one. Duran uncorks one that ends up behind Bo Naylor's legs. <laughs> Bo Naylor has to do a very awkward move to... Because your natural reaction when the ball is coming at you is to bail out, right? You would bail out backwards. That's your natural reaction when a guy throws inside on you. But when it's behind you, <laughs> it really locks you in an awkward position. Such an awkward position that his hands, to counterbalance his weight staying on his feet, his hands fly forward. And it 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 does look like he swings the bat. I'm not going to lie. It, it looks like it, it, it's wholly in the attempt of getting out of the way of the baseball and keeping his weight on his toes. But it does look like, I mean, the, he, the bat crosses the plane, like comes around. So there were some people who were convinced this should have been a strikeout, which feels kind of ridiculous. I I don't know what the rule book says about diving out of the way of a baseball if the bat comes through the swing plane. Does that count as a strikeout? I don't know. But uh, it was an awkward moment. They end up challenging whether he was hit or not with the pitch, but he's not. It was a wild pitch. Uh, and Andres Jimenez comes in and scores on the wild pitch, scores the tying run in the ninth inning. So a little bit frustrating that we can't get the big hit in the ninth inning, but uh, still nice to see that Duran uh, implodes on himself and is able to uh, let that tying run come across. We Then Trevor Steffen goes to absolute work in the ninth inning. We are coming back to it. Strikes out the side in the ninth inning. And then how many times have we said on this show that the away team, the away team has the advantage in the extra innings. This 10th inning works exactly like Major League Baseball wants it to work. They want someone to score. They want to end that game in 10 innings. They don't want teams burning up all their pitchers, risking injury, and they don't want these games going four hours, five hours to get through extra innings. So it works exactly how they hope. Uh, Arias, uh, Bo Naylor is that runner who starts at second base. Miles Straw, sack bunts him over to third. Quan unfortunately flies out to shallow left, so he can't get the runner in. They don't want to pitch to Jose Ramirez, so they intentionally walk him. He goes to the bullpen to get a lefty-on-lefty matchup, and he brings in the rookie uh, who had uh, Cody Funderburk who had a good appearance in game one of this series. They bring him in in this high, high leverage situation against Cole Calhoun, who works a 3-0 count against the rookie and then gets a fastball, I mean, middle of the plate, up 
and he was hunting fastballs. No red lights for Cole Calhoun. I, you knew it. You know, Francona doesn't give guys red lights. At 3-0, he wants them swinging. He knew uh, a walk doesn't get him anything there, right? He's got to hit one. And he was sitting dead red on that fastball, and he blasts this thing. 106 miles per hour, 28-degree launch angle, 433 feet, 30 out of 30 ballparks. This thing was a monster shot. And, I mean, Funderburk knew it as soon as it left the bat. Cole, Cole Calhoun knew it. The whole stadium knew it. Everybody watching on TV, no doubt about it, home run from Cole Calhoun. And uh, it's just it's, it's been great to see the effect he's had on the team. They love him in the clubhouse. Uh, they were making jokes how Tanner Bybee grew up in L.A. and was watching him on the Angels when he was like a kid, when he was a teenager. Watching him on the Angels, and now they're playing together. And uh, Cole Calhoun joked, I'm just glad he isn't like fanboyed out on me uh, too much. So uh, it's a huge moment for Calhoun, who, again, we talked about this last time he had a you know a huge moment in extra innings. This is a guy who was hanging on in AAA thinking that the dream might be dead. And now here he is hitting game-winning home runs, not walk-off, but game-winning home runs in the 10th inning of Major League Baseball games again. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to talk more about Cole Calhoun when we get to the emailers here, but just an absolute beautiful moment uh, of baseball right here. So, uh, Class A comes in, absolutely dominates them in the 10th inning. They can't even get that runner from second home. Uh, he shuts them down, one, two, three, with a ground out, a fly out, and a strikeout uh, to end things. So, Class A going to work. You know he likes having... If that runner's going to start in second, it's nice to give Class A more than a one-run lead because then he could just ignore him, right? Just, just go to work on the batters and absolutely ignore that guy at second, which is how Class A prefers to pitch, clearly. Um, now, I haven't talked to him personally about it, but from body language, from results, it seems pretty clear he hates that runner on second. All right, let's get into the pitching side of things, too, because there are some storylines here. I feel like we got to work backwards through this one. Trevor Steffen, like I said, absolutely dominates in that ninth inning, striking out the side doesn't use his slider at all. It's all fastball and splitter. And it's actually the uh, fastball that's more effective than the split. Although the splitter did have 100% whiff rate. So I can't, can't say it was ineffective. But, uh, he, you know, he missed with a few splitters. It was the fastball that he was pounding the strike zone on with. So let's go to some of these at-bats here. First, he has to face Royce Lewis. Uh, the power hitting Royce Lewis. Uh... Gets him a called strike fastball on the inside edge. Misses with two splitters off the plate, down and away. Comes back with a high fastball at the top of the strike zone for a swinging strike. And then goes back down with that splitter and gets him to swing over it for uh, for strike three. So he strikes out Lewis, uh, working high fastballs and low splitters. Then he's got to face Matt Walner, another powerful guy. Uh, he actually misses with three straight splitters in this at-bat and just goes right back to the fastball. And all the fastballs are up at the letters. They're all elevated fastballs. And it just gasses them at 95-ish, 94, 95 miles per hour. Um, so he throws them, uh, 
Uh, pitch six of the at-bat is a fastball up that he fouls out up over the plate. And then pitch seven, for some reason, he, he must have thinking he was going back to that low splitter because he locks him up with a high inside fastball at 94.1 miles per hour. It was actually the slowest fastball he threw the entire at-bat. So whatever Walner was expecting, uh, he did not get it here. He just got a fastball that locked him up. Uh, both fastballs in... He stared at for called strikes. Both fastballs away, he fouled off. So was he was he reading slider? Did he think he was coming with a slider that was going to break in and off the plate? Whatever Walner was seeing, that's not what he got. He got absolutely locked up by two fastballs inside on him. He strikes out. And then Ryan Jeffers um, starts him off with a fastball that he fouls off. A splitter inside that he swings through for a strike. Two more fastballs up that he fouls off. Hey, he had his chance. And then a splitter that admittedly might be eh, half a baseball off the plate inside. But on an 0-2 count, probably too close to take. Jeffers is pissed. Jeffers is audibly pissed after strike three is called. And he is rung up on a pitch that's inside. So understandably, but 0-2 count. How could you not be in protect mode? And that's something that, the, the frankly, the Twins hitters have done great all series was string out at bats and foul off pitches, Polanco being the best of them at it. And uh, Jeffers goes down here. So a masterful job by Trevor Steffen. Um, now someone was, I heard, I heard conversation on Guardians Twitter about how people were complaining about Trevor Steffen back when he was struggling, and now, look at it, he bounced right back. So, yeah, yeah, relievers ebb and flow sometimes, and we just talked about this with Sam Henches, who had like a double-digit ERA in the month of July, and now has a zero ERA for the month of August. So, yeah, relievers do ebb and flow throughout the season, and uh, it's really hard, really hard to be consistent going out there 50, 60, 70 times uh, throughout a baseball season and trying to be consistent and filthy and and reliable like that. It's a tough job. So, uh, yeah, Stefan, beautiful job there. Before him, Cody Morris puts two shutout innings in the books, doesn't give up a hit, does have one walk, no strikeouts on 33 pitches. Um, Cody Morris is such a question mark. In my mind, he's barely pitched this season for us. This, uh, I think this was only his sixth appearance uh, so far in the 2023 season, which seems absolutely strange. Um, Yeah, he's pitched in six games this season. It's, It's bizarre. He's only thrown eight innings this season for us. Is Cody Morris part of the future of the Bullpen? Does he get stretched back out as a starter one day? Like one time, Cody Morris was like, "Oh, this guy is coming. He is coming, and he is going to be a weapon, whether as a starter or a reliever." And it doesn't feel like that right now, but definitely someone to keep in mind. And nice to see him throw two shutout innings here. Uh, this season hasn't hasn't been great. For him, uh, I was looking through his uh, Statcast page a little bit. Again, with with only eight innings pitched, there's not much to go on. But they are hammering his fastball. I will say that his fastball last year had a 371 batting average against. 
but only a 301 expected batting average, so a little bit of luck there. This year, it's up to a 375 batting average against this four-seam fastball, but only expected batting average of 285. They're also slugging 750 off of his fastball. So, but it has this year at least it has a whiff rate. Last year the whiff rate was at 24.7, which is all right. This year the whiff rate on his four-seam fastball is up to 35.7. So, okay, uh, at least he's getting some whiffs on it now. It, it is up almost a mile per hour faster this year. Um, the launch angle on it and the exit velocity is pretty high. Uh, it's in 90.8 this year with a launch angle of 22 degrees, which sounds like a lot of line drives, doesn't it? it? sounds like a lot of line drives are mixed in there. No wonder they're slugging so high off of it. Uh, so yeah, so uh, f- a fastball, surprisingly not a very effective pitch for him. Uh, something to keep an eye on moving forward, moving into next season, because it is the pitch he throws the most, uh, nearly 40% of the time. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens with Cody Morris moving forward. Karen check before him pitches a clean inning with two strikeouts. Uh, Karen checks another one where I think we know what Karen is going to be at this point where he'll have days where he strikes out multiple hitters and puts up shutout innings. And then he'll have days where he'll walk four and give up two home runs. So, uh, you take the good, you take the bad with Karen check. Uh, in more ways than one. Uh, and then Tanner Bybee before him, let's get to the top of the show. Uh, top of the game here, uh, Bybee against Sonny Gray. And, uh, it's quite a duel. It's quite a duel. They finally get to uh, Bybee in the uh, fifth inning. Uh, some walks, some a walk comes back to cost him. Really, uh, two walks come back to cost him in the inning. Uh, let's see here. He uh, he walks Walner to start the inning. Strikes out Jeffers. Gives up a single to Solano. Walks your old friend Jordan Loop. Oh no, sorry. Strikes out Jordan Luplo before a two-out walk. To Julian, now that they've flipped the lineup over back to the top of the lineup, it's a two-out walk to Julian, which loads the bases, and then that brings up Polanco. And Polanco is so freaking good against us. Singles, shoots one into center field, eh, right center field, brings in two runs to score with the bases loaded, and gets the scoring going for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, He would get Correa to pop out after that, but that would end his day right there. On uh, five innings pitched, only four hits, only four hard-hit balls, two earned runs, the three walks. Like I said, walking the leadoff hitters start that fifth inning, comes back to cost him. Eight strikeouts, though, for Tanner Bybee on 90 pitches. And Francona decides, eh, 90 pitches. For a guy who's throwing a lot of innings for us as a rookie, 90 pitches was enough for Francona. Uh, on the other side of things, Sonny Gray goes seven innings pitched, only gives up three hits, uh, no runs, one walk, five strikeouts, on only 81 pitches to get through seven innings. He's only hard hit five times. So Sonny Gray was pretty filthy on the day after he gives up a leadoff double to Quan. He really locks in. So what was working for these two guys? I thought it was interesting to go over and take a look at their strikeouts. And uh, Sonny Gray's all his strikeouts. All five strikeouts come via the sweeper, including Jose Ramirez twice. Uh, four of them come on sweepers down and to the glove side, 
uh, to the lefty, you know, Ramirez batting from the left side of the plate in the first inning down and in. In the second inning, gets Andres Jimenez down there, gets Ramon Laureano, the righty, to chase a pitch down and away, and gets Cole Calhoun, the lefty, on a sweeper that breaks down below his knees in the fourth inning. And then one to Jose Ramirez that was up out over the plate on the outside edge, a backdoor sweeper that he locks him up for a called strike on a 1-2 count in the sixth inning. So uh, that was what Sonny Gray was doing. On the other side of things, Bybee was throwing everything for his strikeouts. Everything. I've got three fastballs here. Uh, Some of these are looking. Some of these are swinging. Three fastballs. I've got two, three sliders. I've got one curveball uh, that got Julian at the at the knees swinging through it, and I've got one changeup off the plate to Joey Gallo that he chased on a one-two count. So all, that's uh, four different pitches to record eight strikeouts. That's that's pretty impressive that Tanner Tanner Bybee was able to mix it up that much. It wasn't like one pitch was his go-to out pitch. Every single one had a decent whiff rate. It's a 32% whiff rate total on the day for Bybee. Uh, add in 12 called strikes. It's only 28% CSW, so not a super elite, but uh, still pretty good stuff there from Bybee. So it's a strong start from him. Yeah, yeah. I, I know you'd probably want him to go more than five innings, but remember he's a rookie who's probably throwing more than he's ever thrown before in his life. So cut him a little bit of slack for only lasting five innings. He pitched good. The offense gave him no run support until way late in the game. Uh, So for a while there, it looked like he might suffer a 2-0 loss because of that fifth inning. But the team is able to pick him up. All right, I think that's all my thoughts on this one. Man, what a fun... It turned into a fun game. Probably for those of you who are watching from first pitch, it probably was a pretty boring game until that eighth inning. Uh, in fact, I have a friend, uh, someone from my old man softball team who was in Minnesota today and uh, had to travel back to Cleveland. But before he did, he got tickets and was able to go and watch as many innings as he could before he had to get to the airport. And uh, I'm guessing he was probably pretty bored. Although Andres Jimenez did flip him a ball uh, in between innings. He saw him probably in a Cleveland shirt behind the dugout and uh, he got a ball from Andres Jimenez. So that was fun. Our, our softball team group chat was having fun with that one. But um, it's probably a pretty boring baseball game uh, for those first few innings there. So let's go over to the emailers. Let's let the emailers have some fun. And I got a deep question from uh, Jeff with a G, which I'm able to answer pretty quickly because I did my research before we started. Uh, his first email, Jeff's first email just said, Cole! Exclamation point. Uh, he sent me the uh, the game day snapshot from his phone. Like, I wouldn't have known uh, what he was talking about. Come on, Jeff. You know I'm all over this. Uh, Tony emailed in. You know, Tony loves to send them short and sweet. He said, every time I'm ready to give up on the season, the G's do just enough to make, make me, this is baseball, and there is a chance. And, yeah, Tony, and remember, Kind of reminds me of uh, The Godfather, right? Just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in, right? I know a lot of you are feeling that after this series. You know, if if Minnesota would have kicked our butts in this series, y'all would have you all would have walked away from baseball season and moved on with your summer. But taking two out of three from Minnesota does kind of make you wonder what's going to happen in September. So thank you, Tony, for the email. 
Uh, Jeff uh, continues on. Davey, that was awful for seven innings. And then the Guardians came through. Wow, what a finish. So Calhoun gets MVP, right? Uh, you're going to have to hang on and find out. Bullpen was amazing, too. So what do we do about Uncle Cole the rest of the year next season? It's a cruel business, but can we really let him go? I feel like his vibe is necessary, perhaps, for the dugout. I don't even care if he plays much, but it would be nice to have him around. I don't know. It could be the sweet afterglow of this victory affecting my judgment, but that was amazing. Great to see a team pay for walking Jose, too. Ha! Yeah. Uh, those of you who don't believe in protection in the lineup, that showed you right there what protection in the lineup looks like. Um, you know, the other thing is, if that runner doesn't start on second base in the 10th inning, and it's just like two outs to start the inning, they probably just pitch to Jose Ramirez. They don't walk him. And then Cole Calhoun doesn't get this opportunity, maybe. So, uh, it's that runner on second base, like I said, it does exactly what they wanted to do. It got the game finished in 10 innings. Um, what to do about Cole Calhoun? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested to see what's going to happen once Josh Naylor is back. Because obviously Calhoun is filling in for Josh Naylor right now. When Naylor's back, do those guys go into the same rotation that Bell and Naylor were in? We're sometimes playing first base, sometimes DHing. I got to believe so, right? I got to believe that's that's what happens when Naylor comes back. But there's no denying that either Cole Calhoun has just found the fountain of youth for two months at the end of a season, or there might still be something left in the tank. And if he can hit like this in 77 at-bats, it's a 273 batting average, three home runs, 15 RBIs, 811 OPS. I mean, it's a pretty good month. That's a it's a pretty good month of uh month of uh, August right there for the guy. And yeah, I mean he's 35 years old. We've had guys that are that old. We've had guys that are older. Uh, honestly, what I would hope, and I think they were talking about this a little in the Subbies Godcast, if he would agree to a minor league invite to spring tra- you know, uh uh to spring training with an invite to the major league spring training. And then just see what happens. And if he still has it, uh, come, you know, come, I don't know, would he be turning 36 by then? Uh, if he still has it, uh, then eh, maybe you maybe you roll with it. Yeah, he will be, his birthday is in October, so he will be uh, 36 by the time next season rolls around. Then maybe you roll with it and you let him fill in the exact same role that Josh Bell was filling on this team. I mean, it, it's kind of weird to have him platooning with Naylor when they're both lefties, but I, I it'd be a very, very left-leaning lineup then. Like you're going Quan Ramirez switch hitting Naylor and then Cole Calhoun or some ver- some version of that. Uh yeah, it'd be a very and then Andres Jimenez. You're talking a very left-handed leading lineup, uh, but I, I gotta say they 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 brought him here for a reason. Uh, you know, Zach Meisel said in the podcast that they were there were a number of guys that they were keeping their eye on at AAA to see if they might be able to bring him here to Cleveland and help out. And he was he was at the top of that list. So yeah, uh, 
I think you got to at least consider it, right? And that's what a minor league contract with an invite to Major League Spring Training does. It allows you to at least consider it. All right, now Jeff had a deep dive question for me. He said, uh, sorry for the multiple emails, but this finish has me a little discombobulated. I think you've mentioned this before, but when the Guardians score at least four runs, we often win, no? Is there a quick way we can run this search and see what our record would be if we had scored four runs or more? I was prepared earlier in the game to send this deep dive request, but with a little negative vibe because I was preparing myself for another low-scoring game loss, we struggled to scratch across two runs, one on a pass ball. Yeah, we did. I mean, in in nine innings, we did struggle to scratch across two runs. Uh, I bet Marlon is happy that Tito pinch hit for Haas with Naylor. He usually trusts his veterans, right? Okay, I promise that should be for now. What a victory in a series win. Let's keep the momentum going, and fingers crossed that Cal Quantrill can join the rotation and contribute some strong innings. Thanks for the podcast. All right, Jeff. It actually wasn't that complicated to run your search. I just literally had to sit there and do the math because... There's no website that was going to do the math for me. So I pulled up baseball reference. I sorted by uh, the entire game schedule by run scored for the Guardians. And here's how the numbers play out. In games where the Guardians score four or more runs, they are 48 and 18. 48 and 18. In games where the Guardians score less than four runs, so three runs or less, the Guardians are 15 and 52. So I think it's pretty safe to say that the four-run mark is a pretty big mark for this offense, is a pretty big mark for this team. 48 and 14 with four runs or more, 15 and 52 with three runs or less. So there you go. There's are the those are the numbers for you. It's probably not shocking. If you look at a lot of teams in baseball, it's probably something similar to that. But yes, I four runs is a pretty good mark to shoot for every game uh, if you're the Guardians offense. All right, Marlin checked in. Uh, he said, "What a comeback! This game was eerily similar to last year's Guardia Kids comeback of Never Say Die. Shout out to Cole Calhoun for the three-run shot in extra innings to make the Twins pay for intentionally walking Jose Ramirez. This is why it's so important to find hitters to protect J-Ram. Hopefully this comeback will leave some psychological scars for the Twins and will allow the Guardians to continue to cutting into their divisional lead. I love Calhoun's at-bat in extra innings. He got a head 3-0 and set dead red on a fastball. This is what a patient approach and someone with a plan looks like. I'm going to jump in here real quick. Did you see Josh Bell's comments about the you know the hitting staff in Miami? From the way he made it sound, it sounds like the hitting staff in Miami does a much better better job of preparing the hitters for the for the pitchers they're going to face for the game uh, with a plan. I'm just it's one quote from one guy who got traded off our team midseason. But he did make it sound like Miami prepares their hitters before the game. They're doing something different in Miami than they're doing in Cleveland. And it's helped them out this second half of the season. It's it's concerning. I mean, it's one quote. So, you know, you, you usually need a couple of sources to verify something, you know, scientifically. So it's one quote, but yeah, uh, a little bit concerning. Uh, I'll say this, uh, Calhoun and Loriano have played well for the Guardians and the youngsters. Uh, oh, he, okay. So he... Uh, he goes, some of the youngsters could learn by watching. 
Online, there have been complaints about Calhoun and Loriano taking at-bats away from the youngsters. I'll say this, Calhoun and Loriano have played well for the Guardians, and the youngsters need to earn their at-bats rather than being given them. If the vets are outplaying them, so be it. The vets are earning their playing time. Truth be told, I'd rather see Calhoun and Loriano hitting than Brennan and Oscar Gonzalez. If they can add Renfro to the mix, that would be great. Remember, Hunter Renfro got put on waivers by the Angels, but he's still playing. In fact, he hit a home run tonight for them. So, um, yeah. So, uh, the uh, the thing I'll say is that at the time when, at the trade deadline, when we traded away those three veterans and we got what we could for them, it's not, you know, we got some actual interesting prospects back. We got some real power into the minor league system back for them. At that time, it felt like this front office was saying, give up on this season. We are building for 2024. And if that's the case, then that was why we were all making the arguments for the young guys to play. Now that you're still kind of hanging around this thing and that these these two random veterans that you bring in at the beginning of the month are actually contributing and being effective players. Remember, these, these guys were just given up by their former teams. So... The fact that it's actually working out this way is surprising. And yeah, at this point, I would rather see Cole Calhoun in there and Ramon Laureano than Oscar Gonzalez. I, I still like Brennan. I still think Brennan adds a value. I think there's a heck of a baseball player in there. Uh, Oscar Gonzalez, I, I hope he can turn it around because he, he was really fun when he was hammering the ball. But if he can't make contact with the ball, it's not that much fun. So, yeah, I would rather see Calhoun in there and Loriano than Oscar Gonzalez right now. All right, uh, Marlon went on uh, with some other things, but I think we're going to wrap it up there. It's been a fun episode. Uh, so thank you uh, for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. I am not going to forget MVP on the day. Of course MVP on the day goes to Cole Calhoun. Of course, you can't have a moment like that in extra innings and not walk away with MVP on the day. So a uh, big shout out to Cole Calhoun. Or who did, what did one of the emailers call him? Uncle Cole? Um, I like it. Uh, all right. The final from Target Field. It's the Guardians 5, the Twins 2. We take the series two games to one in the standings now. Uh, should we even do this? Should, no. You know what? We're not even going to do this. We're not, we're not going to talk standings. We're, we're not. This team is still under 500. We're not doing it yet. One game at a time. All right? Just focus on. We got a day off. We come back Friday to face Tampa Bay at home. We got Cal Quantrill going against Glass now for Tampa Bay. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Logan T. Allen going on Saturday. And then a late afternoon game on Sunday with Xavier Curry back on the mound. Uh, He's going to get another start. Going to get another start after that uh, disaster in game one of this Minnesota series. So, And then we got Minnesota coming back home. So a lot could happen. A lot could happen over this weekend, over this holiday weekend, and in, uh, into next week. So we're not even going to talk the standings. We're just going to take it one game at a time. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Give me your reactions to the game. Give me your thoughts on Cole Calhoun. And what you think the Guardians should do with him. And for for this season, for the next season, what are your thoughts on him? We'll discuss it on the show. 
So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.